Acts chapter 2 is a beautiful passage of Scripture. And of course, if we see the, the local church, this is what we're talking about here is, is the local church. God's given us His Word, His Spirit, and His body. And we talked a little bit last week about the servants of the local church, how that none are insignificant. At the same time, none are irreplaceable. We talked about the, um, the staples of the local church. is going to be the ministry of prayer, the preaching and the proclaiming of God's Word, publicly and the personal soul wing of its members. Uh, we need everybody to be telling everybody about Jesus. It's something we don't just need to be done for the pastors or for the deacons, but everybody ought to be a soul winner, and everybody can. Everybody's supposed to preach the gospel one-on-one -on -one with somebody, and we can do that. And then we find that the structure of the church revolves around three concepts, the lordship of Jesus, the leadership of the church, and the partnership of its people. Once again, can you say those things with me real quickly? Lordship, leadership. One more time, lordship. I would encourage you to write that in your Bible somewhere. I think those are three concepts that really do, uh, that a local church needs to evolve around the lordship of Jesus, the leadership that God puts in place. And by the way, can I just remind you, uh, when Apostle Paul met with the people, the leaders of the church at Ephesus, he said, take heed to yourself. And to the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. So who has to be instrumental in putting leadership into place? The Holy Spirit. And uh, they're not, uh, we all, I think every pastor I heard yesterday about some situation where a pastor did not want to be accountable. But boy, pastors are to be accountable for their personal life. He said, take heed to yourself, to your own walk with God, to your own role in your family and your own personal holiness. That's very important. It should be important to me, and it's important for you for me, and for our Pastor Gomez, and for our assistant pastors. And by the way, that's everyone's job. Take heed to yourself. If you ever get on an airplane, you'll find that they'll say to you, we don't expect a loss in cabin pressure. But in case we do, four oxygen masks are going to fall down from the compartment above you. And it tells you to uh, put it on yourself and the elastic bands to here and the basket or the, the little bag may not inflate, but you'll know you're receiving oxygens and all that. But they always say this, if you're sitting with a child or someone who is acting like a child, please put it on yourself first and then assist other people. The truth of the matter is, if you did not, if you had a loss in cash and pressure and you went around trying to put masks on everybody, you'd be laying out on the, on the aisle. They'd be walking on you as they exited. And the truth of the matter is the same as way in the spiritual life. You have to walk for God for yourself. No one else can, you can't take the day off and let someone else do that for you. You have to be pure for yourself. Uh, you have to play your family role for yourself. No one else is supposed to be the mother to your children. No one else is supposed to be the, the son to your mom and dad that plays that role, or the daughter, or the husband, or the wife, uh, the sister, the brother, the niece, the, the uncle, the aunt, every, whatever role, that's your job to play and make it personal and decide you're going to ask God to help you with that. But uh, we see here in the book of Acts that the Lord Jesus um, is gone back to heaven. He goes up. The Holy Spirit comes down. The people get filled with the Holy Spirit. They go out, and then people come to Christ. It's a transitional book, but a wonderful book. In Acts chapter 2, we see that Peter is now preached to Pentecost. He has preached a message, not just the words we have, but in other words, he compelled them uh, with the truth, and he confronted them with preaching. And by the way, a local church is a place where the Word of God needs to be preached. 
and it needs to be proclaimed and opened, and I hope you'll bring your Bible. I hope you'll read your Bible at home, but I hope you'll bring it when you come to church, and, and I would encourage you to underline things that are important, make notes of things that you need and that you can refer back to another time, and we read our newspaper, we study our Bible. And I hope your Bible's a studied Bible. Someone said, if you find a Bible that's falling apart because of use, it probably belongs to someone who's not falling apart. <laughs> and there's something about a relationship with the Bible that really does strengthen and stabilize the Christian. Well, the Apostle Peter finishes his message, and the people said that we're pricked at the heart. What should we do? And they looked around at Peter and the other apostles, and he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, uh, because you're saved for the remission of sins. Not so you don't get baptized so you can be saved. That is a doctrinal error there, but because you're saved, because you've had your sins forgiven, because of that, get baptized. And they understood that because John the Baptist, he would baptize people before there was Jesus, and uh, they knew that they were identifying was his proclamation to repent and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Messiah is alive. And when they believed that, they would baptize. Well, they would get baptized after they had believed and received Jesus. Several things happened. The Bible says, they that gladly received his word. So some people were not glad to receive his word. And one of the things that God gives us in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is that we're not supposed to despise what? Prophesying. We're not supposed to despise prophecy. You know why God gives us admonitions like that? Because we have propensities to not like to hear sometimes. Some people, they, they, don't, mind, they don't mind the music. They don't mind this. Ah, it's preaching. Ah. No, don't, don't have that attitude. Don't despise prophesying. Listen to it. Let it come in. Don't quench the spirit. And he says, listen, the word of God needs to be preached, and it's going to be, and Paul, and, and excuse me, Peter preached the word of God. They were pricked. He told them what to do. They did it. And the Bible tells us that they continued in four major areas. Number one, in the apostles' doctrine, in the teaching of God's word. We see that in verse number, let's look at it real quickly. Let you look at it and read it with me. Verse 42, you ready? And they continued... Apostles' doctrine, and in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And I just want to quickly go back to 41. The Bible says, and they that, re that gladly received his word. Some people were not glad to receive his word. <laughs> and that happens in any group. There are people that when preaching has happened, they're, not upset, they're upset with the pastor or the preacher. They don't trust him, or they have a problem with something that, that uh, he decided, or the Sunday school teacher decided, or what have you. And, and oftentimes, nothing blurs our spiritual vision like an interpersonal problem. It just does. That's why the Bible says, follow peace with all men, without which no man can see the Lord. When you have a, and this is, this, we're going to see this in just a few moments, but one of the more important things that you and I have to help the work of God is to be at peace among ourselves. It's challenging. Um, whenever Apostle Paul told the church at Thessalonica in 1, Timothy, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, look, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord. So he said, I want you to learn your spiritual leaders. Number two, labor with them. Work with them. This is a working church, and may God help us. I'm just so impressed and just thinking about all the work that goes into youth conference, the cleanup out of the college, uh, the golf tournament. There's so many things going on. BBS is coming up. And one of the things I love about our church is people get in. They get in, they get involved, and I'm glad for that. 
But he said, I want you to learn your spiritual leader. I want you to labor with them. I want you to esteem them very highly in love for what they do for the Lord. And then he says, and be at peace among yourself. Have you ever moms and dads? How many of are moms and dads here? You take a vacation, you got the kids squalling in the back, fighting, flipping each other on the ear, and wiping boogers on each other, and all that stuff. Oh, it gets you aggravated. Yeah, yeah, you want to stop? You quit, stop. Well, you want to say, okay, now come on, I'm going to lose my salvation over this one. You're going to pull over there. My dad, back back before there was mandatory reporting and things of that nature, my dad had the longest right arm. I'm telling you what. He would just he would be he would be driving, he'd hear us messing around back there and he'd be driving all whack, you know, whack. And boy, all of us are going up against the windows and some in the back part there trying to get away from my dad's right arm. And uh, that was uh, that was a rough a rough season in the Wilkerson house, you know. And you know, I remember all all eight of us were in a Dodge Duster duster one time, you know, and we're all and they had to Dodge Duster for a little while and it's just a two door and then all six Five of us are in the back, and one sitting between my mom and dad. And, and well, we, we learned not to mess around on that one. That was not a good idea, you know. The station wagon, we could take our chances, but <laughs> we had to go a little farther back. But not in the Dodge Duster. Just behave yourself, you know, and get through it, because we don't want dad's right arm to come and, and swack us on the leg, you know. Nonetheless, uh, whenever we are, we are, we're working with people, he said, be at peace among yourselves. Don't be drama mamas. There are things we can work as much as life in you. Live peaceably with all men. Why? Well, we have the Prince of Peace in Jesus. We have human beings and we have faults. We have failures. We have strong opinions about what ought to happen, what ought not to happen. But nothing quite blurs our vision for the spiritual things like interpersonal problems. And we see this even in the apostles, and we'll talk about that in a moment. He said, but they continued... People that were glad to hear his word, they obeyed, they got baptized, and they were added to that local church. By the way, I think it's a big thing to be a part of a local church for five reasons. Number one, when you join and get involved in a local church and you're all in, number one, you're identifying with Christ. The church is not the church of John Wilkerson. It's not your church. It's not my church. It's his church. It's the body of, it's the building of God. It's the bride of Christ. It's all about him. So when I get involved with local church, I'm saying I'm identifying with Jesus. Number two, it's a place where I am instructed in Jesus. Church, you, you, can, you can read your Bible at home and God speaks to you and you should do that. But let me just tell you something. You'll never be spoken to quite the way that God wants to hear you to hear his voice like you will in a church service. I talked to a man. He got saved three years ago here. And he said, Pastor, I'm in my third lesson of discipleship. And he said, uh, I got one more lesson to go, and I'll go in the Word of God next week, and I'll finish it. But you know what I found out? You're right. We've watched it online, and it's not the same as being in the building. Something about being in that building. He said, I, I feel like God speaks to me in there. There's nothing sacred about the building, but what God does in those things, he says, it's very important. But we get instructed in Jesus. We identify with Jesus. Number three. It's a place where we're inspired for Jesus. We're inspired to do things. I love the, 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 the Sunday night when we acknowledge the weddings. I know some of you say, Pastor, I don't even want to see that again. I don't like that. But let me tell you something. There's inspiration that goes on in that. Whenever you find someone who's been married 49 years, almost 50, old as dirt. Good night. 
Hey, you say, you know what? We're at 32. We want to be at 49 one day. We want to be faithful to the Lord. We want to do the right thing the right way for the right reason for a long time. When you see uh, uh, the Maxwell stand up and that 30-year point was a place where there was tremendous uh, conflict and separation and God began to mend and take more grace that he had for their situation and put them together in four years, write a book and show others. And uh, he'll begin counseling six different people this week that uh, are going through the same thing and working through that and helping them in a Zoom meeting. Well, that's a blessing. That's a show that, 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 that whatever the devil can mess up and sin can mess up, God can repair. And he can, he can help it. These are things that are good. At church, we get a place where we identify with Jesus. We get instructed in Jesus. We get inspired for Jesus. I remember, um, just as a young man, watching the men of our church and thinking, you know, I knew that, that everything wasn't perfect in everyone's home, but I watched some men, how they did that. When I'm a husband, I want to do that. When I'm a dad, I want to do that. I remember years ago watching uh, people put their offering envelope in their pocket, you know, and and, uh, boy, I was like in third grade. My Sunday school teacher, my Sunday school teacher, Mr. Gregory, did it. And, and I saw Mr., Mr. Hand do it. And other people, I said, you know, I'm going to do that too. So I put my big 25 cents in the offering plate, folded my envelope about seven times, and put it in my little pocket. And I walked around with my uh, offering envelope. Probably some pride problems there. But <laughs> nonetheless, it, it inspired me. I saw the people that loved the Lord. They were giving. I wanted to give. I want to be a part of that. I want to get on in that situation. I saw people drive buses years ago. I was 20 years old and turned 21 on my birthday. And I went to Brother Club and said, Brother Club, I want to learn how to drive a bus. Brother Rick Nesbitt drove a bus. Brother Doug Monroe drove a bus. Brother Robert York, some other people, they learn how to drive a bus. I want to drive a bus. And for now, for since I was 21 years old, I've been driving a bus. Why? Because I was inspired. I saw someone else do it. I wanted to do it. It's a place of identification. It's a place of instruction. It's a place of inspiration. It's also the church is a place where I'm, I'm involved. It's a place of involvement. So I don't just sit here and watch the world go by. I get involved doing something. I, I say, you know what? If there's something to be done, if you've got to clean something, I'll clean bathrooms. I don't care. If it's, if it's something I can do, I want to get involved. If I work on security or manage a camera or uh, do something, play an instrument, sing a song, welcome people, do something for the Lord. And uh, all of us ought to be looking for things we can do. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Hey, don't just put your feet in the, in the wave pools of life. Jump out in the deep where you can't feel the bottom, bottom of the pool and say, you know what, I want to do something with God. And he wants to do something with you. We're labors together with the Lord. I'm not trying to do something great for God. I really want to do something great with him. I want him to go. I remember years ago when we were raising children, um, I would, my wife would often ask us to take our shoes off at the door. So we were going to go somewhere to put our shoes on. And she, maybe I'll say, or she'll say, John, can you run and go to the store? And so what, or wherever I would go, I would start putting my shoes on. And usually the littlest kid in the house, they can maybe not even talk yet. Not, not, very, not very well. Maybe they're one, two years old, but they figure out something. When I put my shoes on, they go get their shoes. And they bring them to me, and they would say, I go, I go. I'd say, well, where do you want to go? I go with you. I go with you. You know why they want to go with me? I have money. They don't have money. <laughs> I can drive. They can't drive. 
I stop at 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts. They, they, they want to go. <laughs> and you know, when God puts his shoes on, you ought to say, oh, I go. Why? Because he provides a great journey. But it takes time to get involved. It takes an effort and a determination. Hey, I go. If you're going to do something, you want me to go with you, I'm good. It's going to take you. You never see the blessings till you get involved with that. And then lastly, it's a place of investment. The work of God is strengthened by people giving of their time, their talents, their resources, their treasure to the Lord. And I want to encourage you. The work of God, we're talking about it all month long, is committed to the house of God. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Church of God is not perfect, but it is to be an offensive weapon to continue to get the gospel to people. And uh, we see this here in the early church. It went from 120 people to 3,120 people after one Sunday afternoon. And God gave an amazing work that got took place there. Well, as the Bible says, they continued steadfastly. They kept on doing four things. Hearing the word of God, praying, fellowship, interacting with one another, and serving God together, and then breaking of breads, focusing on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at the next verse, if we can, please. Verse 43, And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. First of all, I want you to notice that first part, verse 43, fear came on every soul. Now, let me, let me tell you, I don't think that it's like everybody walked around scared. I think they knew that God was with them. They recognized the presence of God. I think there's two things that really generate someone's awareness of God. One, in Deuteronomy chapter uh, 17 and 31, it is when we hear and expose to the word of God. You, none of us have seen Jesus. We haven't seen heaven or hell. But they were both on my mind when I got saved that night. You know why they're on my mind? Because someone taught me the Bible. I called out to a God I couldn't see, have never seen. Asked him to save me, and he did. All because I was, I, I recognized his presence based upon the word of God. The night I surrendered to serve the Lord, I knew God was with me. I knew that he was challenging me to surrender. I didn't go forward. I didn't get on the platform. I saw hundreds of people on that platform in the Jack Howells Auditorium. I sat up in the corner and cried like a little girl. I knew God was touching me. You know why it happened? Because I heard the word of God. Preaching caused me to realize that God was real. The word of God did. The second thing that helps us know the fear of the Lord in, in Deuteronomy 14, 22, 23, and that is when we return God's tithe. He said, when you learn to return God's tithe, then you will learn the fear of the Lord. And we're going to see generosity is, a, is an outcome of this church in a moment. And uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, and many folks will struggle with finding tithing in the New Testament, but I'm telling you, friend, I don't want to ever go under what God's way was. If Abraham figured out about God then, and Jacob figured out before the law, and then the law is there, and then he closes the Old Testament with that, and we ought to be at least much more generous in the New Testament than we were in the Old Testament. And I think for a long time ago, I'm so glad that, that uh, God laid my heart not to just give a tenth. I think we ought to, we ought, God will grow my tithe. I should grow my giving. It should not be like, well, I'm just getting the tenth. I remember years ago sitting with someone. They've been married for over 50 years, and they, but they struggled with, with meeting their needs, their needs being met. And, but I found out after 50 years of marriage and, and decades of being a Christian, they're still only given the tithe. They just stopped at the tenth. 
And I think it's something we ought to say, Lord, I, I, don't, I know everybody's different, but I want to encourage you, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. He said, when I lose money, if I had all that money I gave to the Lord. No, 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 that's the money you'll see again. It's that money you gave to the Cubs when they lost, you know. <laughs> it's that money you gave, you gave to that vacation, and, and we spend an uh, unbelievable amount of money oftentimes on pleasures, and then we're chimpsy with God. We ought to be investing eternally. I don't have a problem with vacations. I believe in them. I believe in enjoying a good time. But I do think we ought to learn to be aggressive in the things of God. And as a result of that, he reciprocates by having your needs met. And how many can be testimonies? You feel like you could give a testimony if you need to right now about how God has met your needs supernaturally through learning to give to the Lord. I think failing to do that will oftentimes be a challenge to people. I don't want that to be the case. But fear came upon all the people, the Bible tells us. So there was, a, there was an obvious movement of God's spirit. They knew that God was with them. Then the Bible tells us in verse number 43 that there were great signs and wonders done by the apostles. And there they began to exercise spiritual gifts. Some of the gifts they exercised are not necessary, to, in my opinion, applicable today. I had someone try to challenge me on that, and it's okay, I don't mind that. But the truth of the matter is, I think that there are, they, they exercise their spiritual gifts in that day. And of course, at that day, the Bible had not come to fruition. And so they had gifts of, of tongues, gifts of healing, gifts of administration, lots of things that we maybe, some of which I think have, have now ceased now that the word of God has come. But he said he, there was obvious that these people are using their gifts and the presence of God was upon them. Boy, that ought to be the case in this room. In this church, it ought to be obvious God's presence here. Nothing blesses my heart more than to hear a visitor say on a Sunday morning, and I've heard it in the last, in the last month three times, God's presence here. I felt God's presence. I had a precious lady come last week, and it's her second week back, and she saw me in the foyer. didn't go to the meeting, but she said, Pastor, I want you to know that I feel God in this place. And I think that's what we want. We want God's presence upon the service. Number two, we want to be able to exercise our gifts. And use what God has given us. Look at the next verse, verse 44. The Bible says, And all that believe were together and had all things common. We find a unity. They were believed, they had the same mind, and they were willing to share generosity. Some of them sold their possessions and goods and parted them among all men, and every man had need. And of course, there were lots of needs that came because of the persecution. When people, get, uh, when people got saved in the Jewish culture, a lot of times mama was living with the family, grandma was living there. She came home, she said, I believed in Jesus Christ. Your hair's wet, grandma, what happened? Well, I got baptized. Oh, you did, well, that's fine, grandma. We're a Judaism home, we're a home of Judaism. We do not, we're not gonna go with this way. So if you have that commitment, then you go live somewhere else. You're not living with our family. I'm not having you exposed to our children. And they, they left her on the streets. People lost their jobs. They went to work on a Monday, and their, their, their boss said, hey, someone told me you got baptized. You're going with these people of the way. You've, you've accepted this dead Jew, Jesus. Is that true? Oh, I can tell you. It's unbelievable. He said, well, that's wonderful. Well, you're not working here. And he would be indigent very quickly. And boy, a lot of people had difficulties, and people saw the need, and they stepped up, and they gave to support these people, and they laid it at the apostles' feet and said, you know, Peter, James, John, all you, Nathaniel, you guys know much more what's going on, who it needs. We sold some property. We, we can give this to you. And then you distribute that to people who are going through difficult times. 
We live in a very prosperous time right now. I'm not saying that everybody is doing great, but most of us, we're okay. We finished our school years, and God helped our families. He, uh, even without vouchers and things, we had an unbelievable amount of people who paid on time and took care of their bills and college. It was a, it's a good time. It won't always be that way. And sometimes in the times of our plenty, other people have need. This is one of the reasons I think it's a good time to give to the Lord. And give to missions, because there are people around the world. I thought I was talking to Brother Keith Piper this morning. They're on lockdown in Australia. And he says their second, his third, fourth week, they can't meet as a church. And it's a tremendous amount of pressure on that facility and on that, that ministry. And others of our ministries are, are going through that. It's a time where maybe we can begin to be more aggressive about giving while we have plenty. That's a biblical principle as well. Look at 45, would you please? 46. And then they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house once again, they continued. How often did they do it? And they were in one accord. They were together at the temple and home to home and did eat their meat with gladness. They were happy and they were focused. Singleness of heart. Verse 47, read it with me. Praising God and having favor with all the people. You see unity, you see worship, you see praise, you see favor with God and man. People don't necessarily have to agree with us, but they ought to respect you. They ought to admire you. And I've, 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 I've have, I, I think uh, I've experienced this in our church and in our own lives. People who just, they can't figure us out. I've got a neighbor that says, I'm tripping on you. <laughs> so I can't figure out. I've heard of Christians, but I've never seen anybody like live like you. You guys are really different. I want to hear that. I want to see that God saves them as a result of that. Let your light so shine before that they can, they can really receive the word of God when God visits them. When the Holy Spirit begins to, they, they'll think about, hey, that's what, uh, that's what so-and-so, that's what my neighbor, that's the guy that worked with me, he always tell me that. I remember years ago, and John DeGan's back there. John, would you raise your hand real quickly? John, what a blessing he and Miss Darlene are. But I remember when he got saved, and I thought to myself, I sat in his living room, his living room table, and shared the gospel with him. Miss Connie Vigneri was a, a contact there, and he attended one church, very skeptical of our church, very skeptical of, the, of that. And I remember going, knock on his door, hey, Rev, come on in, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of how it was with him. But boy, God began to work in his heart as he began to show the scriptures, and he accepted the Lord. Then started going through discipleship. I'll never forget whenever his daughter came to visit him from Springfield, Missouri. And we stood out in the hallway there, and she said, she pulled me off to the side, and she said, Pastor, I don't know how to thank you. My dad has not listened all these years. I've been praying for him for 25 years, that God would save my dad. I want to thank you for going to his house and telling him how to be saved. He said, I can't believe it. He's so different. He's so, it's so different. It's wonderful. And I'm so thankful. You know, every time someone gets saved, there's always a story like that. You're never the only factor, in my opinion, when someone gets saved. There's always someone else who has broken ground, who has done something that God has used them, planted a seed, watered that seed. That's why every day telling someone about Christ is not a bad day. You know, think about, uh, think of how many times, I remember one day I was giving out a, tra a, a track to a fella. He says, oh, I already have one. I said, what are you doing with it? Where have you, you, what do you think about it? Well, I put it up on my... Uh, on my, on my little shelf, I, I have my pillow here, and I put it up on my shelf. I tape it up there. I read it every night and say the prayer. 
I said, so you know you're going to heaven? He goes, no, I don't know that. I said, could I explain to you? And I took my Bible and explained to Tom how he could be saved, and he accepted Jesus right there on the sidewalk. I didn't give him the first track. Somebody else did that. And you know, just it's a process. But there ought to be soul winning. There ought to be respect. There ought to be favor. By the way, you ought to think about this. You mow your lawn. You know why you mow your lawn? For the glory of God. <laughs> you know why you paint your house? You know why you clean your car? You know why you work hard at work? You know why you're careful with your mouth and you don't say nasty things or unkind things? You know why you love your family? It's because you're always being observed. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good, what you do. So I don't want to live in a glass house. You can't. You already are. Your good things and your negative things will be obvious to people, but when they see your good things, They'll have praise God, they'll have favor with God and man, and the Lord will add to the church daily. I don't want to take a lot of time, but I want to talk about chapter 3 momentarily. In chapter 3, some time has gone by, and Peter and John go to the temple. Let's look at chapter 3, verse 1. Can we please? And Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they had laid daily in the gates of the temple, which is called beautiful, and they asked alms of them to enter into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms, and Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John and said, Look upon us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something from them. And Peter said, verse 6, read it with me, Silver and gold, but such as I have, It's a beautiful passage of Scripture, but I want you to notice three things. I want you to notice a couple things real quickly. Number one, I, I want you to, to know it, the cooperation. As I already alluded to tonight already, is that interpersonal problems with God's people hurts the work of God. Just a few weeks before Jesus went back to heaven, he sat on a beach off the Galilean Sea there, and he, he challenged Peter. He told him, lovest thou me more than these? Okay, okay. Yes, you know, yes, you know all things. You know I love you, okay? He said, then feed my sheep. He goes, okay. Third time's a charm, I got it. And then Peter said, what are you going to do with this guy? This dreamer over here, John the beloved, this teenager you got here, what are you going to do with him? And boy, Jesus said, hey, what, what's that to you? If I want him to live until I come back, what is that to you? You follow me. I'm telling you, friends, that is a challenging thing. One of the challenges and sins of our day is we compare ourselves among ourselves. And it's an absolute uh, fruitless exercise and foolish at best. Boy, he, was, he, he got his face ripped off. What are you going to do with him? How about him? Well, you have it all the time. Everybody wants to push someone else. And, what are you going to do with them? You know, and Jesus, he put him in his place. He said, look, why don't you draw a circle around yourself, Peter, and live in that circle? You please the Lord. You had nothing to prove. You got one person to please. How about you taking care of that? And I'll take care of him. How about that? And then the Spirit of God comes on Pentecost. God is doing a great work. How many disciples are there? How many disciples? Twelve. Which two are mentioned here? The two fellows that probably had the least commonality there. One of the older ones, probably in Peter, one of the younger ones in John. And it says they were together. 
at the hour of prayer. A couple things here I think is very important, and that is learning to cooperate. Teamwork makes the dream work. And one thing that I think is very important is for people to learn to pray together. If we can get prayer going, then a crippled man can be, can be healed, can be helped. The name of God, you have, you have a, a cooperation, you have a crippled person, and then you have a couple Christians who point them to Jesus. And that, that situation gave 5,000 more people to get saved. 5,000 people, because they could not argue that everybody, all 5,000 and more walked by that crippled man. They saw him, and they saw him day after day, week after week. His family would bring him there, send him there, and, and we find here. But I want just, just to notice, is there somebody you need to get right with? Is there somebody you've got a problem with? How they scratch their head gets on your nerves. Where they walk, you know how they are. And you need to really draw a circle around yourself and say, God, would you please forgive me and keep me right in the circle? You know, oftentimes we get mad at one another. And that anger, the Bible says, fret not thyself. That means don't get stirred up. The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And people get passed by because Christians do not, are not together. They're not in prayer. They're not thinking like Jesus. They're not, they're not walking in step. We've studied this a couple weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 12. Follow peace with all men, without which no man can see the Lord. Lurk, stay in your lane. Run your race. Get your eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and off fighting the person beside you trying to create a cause and a heresy in the Bible is creating a cause and drawing a line and trying to get everybody else in your cause. It's one of the most wicked things that goes on in social media and so, and so many other areas. It's, it's as old as sin is, but it's more complicated now. It's just drawing the line and trying to get people on your side of the line to say, I feel you. I know how you are. I do the same thing you're doing. I feel the same. Boy, they're trying to get, create a cause. It's heresies is the Bible term for that. But oftentimes it's unfortunate because those kind of things create complication that many crippled people in the world who need the touch of God are passed by because two people, instead of are together, they're arguing with each other. They're not praying, and then people get hurt. The work of God's not gone. And 5,000 people. You know, you winning one person to Christ could be a catalyst. Could you imagine Edward Kimball walking out in the middle of a sidewalk somewhere in a shoe store, scared to death because he's got this new 16-year-old kid from Northfield, Massachusetts that's working in his uncle's uh, shoe factory. He's attended a Sunday school class, and he doesn't know how, to, how he's going to take him, and he tosses and turns and works, and then finally goes in and says, Hey, D.L., can I talk to you about Jesus? And in the back there leads him to Christ. That one conversion brought millions of people to hear the gospel. I wonder if Ed, Ed Kimball was, was all fired up with everybody else in the church. I wonder if he'd been sitting on that sidewalk that day. I wonder if he had led that guy to the Lord. I wonder if the, if the world would never be the same again. I want to encourage you, let's work on this thing of cooperation. I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm judging myself. I need to get in that circle and say, John, John are you right with God? Are you right with others? Don't spend time fighting stupid stuff at the expense of crippled people who need the gospel of Christ, whose lives can be radically changed 
if the church would do his job, and you're the church and I am too.